If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be Jeremiah 41 to 42. Oh. So uh, if you'll hop in there with us, as we look at Jeremiah, we're at a section in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 39 is where the fall of Jerusalem takes place. So all the way up until that time, the Lord uh, through Jeremiah has been reaching out to the people, calling them to accept God's judgment, God's plan for their lives, to surrender, and uh, that God would do uh, a work, that he would preserve them in Babylon, but they were going to be taken as exiles out of the land. So we see that take place in chapter 39. And in Jeremiah's call, at the beginning of Jeremiah's call, the Lord said, I'm going to use you to pluck up and tear down, and I'm going to use you to build up and to plant. And I, you're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years, Jeremiah's ministry, and so far his ministry has been to, uh, to pluck up and tear down. And I think there's probably a part of them that's hoping. In chapter 40, we see Nebuzaradan, he, he comes, he's a, the captain of the guard for uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells, basically tells Jeremiah, you can do whatever you want. You can come to Babylon, we'll put you up, or you can stay. And, uh, and Jeremiah just kind of hesitates, you know, like he's not really sure, he doesn't respond right away. And Nebuzaradan, he says, well, just, just go back and, and stay with Gedaliah. So Jeremiah stays with the remnant that's in Jerusalem. And I think somewhere in the back of Jeremiah's mind, he's hoping this is the part where I get to build up and plant. You know, the, the collapse has happened. The, the, the crisis has come. The fall of Jerusalem has occurred. But what we read from 41 all the way through 45 is what we enter into is a time that I would call the chaos after the crisis. So you have the, the crisis of the fall and the chaos that follows. And if you remember last time we looked at it, Gedaliah was set up. Gedaliah, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to make Gedaliah the king. I keep picking people from the line of David and they keep rebelling. So I'm just going to pick some hack. So he picks Gedaliah. Gedaliah is not in the royal line. Gedaliah is just some guy who, who was, you know, uh, an advisor and he was definitely part of, of leadership, but he wasn't in the kingly line, wasn't in the royal line. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to be the guy. Gedaliah's like, all right, I'll do it. You know, we're not really setting up a nation. There's no nation. There's no throne. There's just basically a camp that uh, when the Babylonians pass through, like on their way to Egypt or wherever they're going for conquering, they can stop and pick up a tribute. Food, their portion of the harvest, what have you. And so Gedaliah is a good man. He says, yeah, I'll do it. And he tells the people who are left, who are remaining, the, the guerrilla fighters, right? They're the people who have been fighting out on the outskirts that all come after the fall. And he tells them all, look, we're just going to live at peace with Babylon and, and uh, enjoy the, the fruits of the land. So this is his plan. But... Uh, Johanan comes to him and he tells Gedaliah in chapter 40, he says to Gedaliah, hey, Ishmael wants to kill you. And Gedaliah's like, nah, man, there's been too much killing. Everybody's done. We're just gonna, it's, it's all gonna be good. So that's the last thing we looked at in chapter 40. When we come to chapter 41, verse one, 
we see the slaughter of Ishmael. So it begins, in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, so there might be your motivation, <clears throat> maybe Ishmael thought he should have been the next guy chosen to rule because he was actually in the Davidic line, part of the royal family. One of the chief officers of the king came with 10 men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam at Mizpah, and they ate bread together there in Mizpah. So perhaps <clears throat> it's, a, it's a jealousy thing. You got the authority, why should you be in charge? Right? That's not new. You had issues like that back with Moses. You had issues like that with children of Israel throughout time. We have a number of kings who ruled for four months or less because somebody decided they shouldn't be king. They shouldn't be the guy in charge. I should be. Which is not new. Is that a new condition for man? We're kind of doing it right now, aren't we? Yeah, no, it shouldn't be this guy. It should be, should be that guy. It shouldn't be that guy. It should be this guy. We got our, well, it's, you know, it's, it is a common feeling within the heart of man. So Ishmael goes to visit him. And Gedaliah, this is how set Gedaliah is like, dude, we're all good. Gedaliah is done with war. He's done with being hungry. He's done with starving. He's done with fighting. He's done with killing. And he just assumes so is everybody else. Now, in the ancient Near East, if you went to somebody's house for dinner and then you kill them, that is the height of despicable. There's not a worse thing, a worse way somebody could offend someone else. And so we read about it in 2 and 3. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men with him rose up and struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, with the sword and killed him whom the king of Babylon had appointed governor in the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Judeans who were at Gedaliah at Mizpah and all the Chaldean soldiers who happened to be there. So he did not just kill Gedaliah. He killed everybody in Mizpah. He goes through Mizpah and he just has a slaughter. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a large number. We're not talking about thousands. I don't even know if we're talking about hundreds. Because remember, the, the battle with Babylon has just happened. Jerusalem fell. You have a remnant left. It's basically just uh, whoever's been left behind. So he slaughters them all. And while he's sitting there amidst their slaughter, the day after the murder of Gedaliah, verse 4, before anyone knew of it, 80 men from Shechem and Shiloh and Samaria with their beards shaved and their clothes torn and their bodies gashed, bringing grain offerings and incense to present to the temple of the Lord. So you have a group of guys coming in mourning. Now you can see the mixture of the paganite uh, uh, religions in the way they were preparing themselves to mourn the fall of Israel. It was, it was never a time where God told his people to gash themselves, to cut themselves. That was a, a pagan practice. But it was a problem in the hearts of those in Judah and in Israel at the time to mix the religions around them with, the, the, with Judaism, with the worship of Yahweh. And so they have this mixture where they're mixing in all these things. You know, we're going to cover all our bases. And so these guys, these 80 guys, come to mourn the fall of Jerusalem. They don't even know Gedaliah is dead. 
They're just coming, to, this happened the next day, to be passing through the area where Ishmael just slaughtered Gedaliah. And it says, verse 6, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, came out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he came. What a dirtbag. So these guys are honorably weeping and mourning the fall of Jerusalem. He goes out to fake it with them. He goes out to fake it with them. He's weeping as he comes. He comes out to meet them and says, Oh, come on, come on in to, to the <clears throat> house of Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. So he invites him into where he just slaughtered all the people in Mizpah. So they have no realization. They don't know he's done anything. They don't know anything yet. <clears throat> There's no reason for him to kill these people. It says, but when they came into the city, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the men with him, slaughtered them and cast them into a cistern. So apparently man's not done yet. And one of the things that we can recognize from the heart of man is what the scripture declares, the heart of man is desperately wicked. And there's no end to the, the depravity that the heart of man can fall to. And as soon as you think the words out loud, I would never do that, you have fallen into the trap. Because you are the same, of the same nature. You are by nature children of wrath. That's where we are, apart from Christ. By nature children of wrath. There's nothing that man has done we aren't capable of doing. We watch it on the news every night. Philadelphia is burning today. Who will burn tomorrow? Who will burn the day after that? Who will burn the day after that? You probably ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till after November 3rd. Wait till after they declare who won, no matter who won. It's not over. It ain't over. Because man has a never-ending desire for calamity in his heart. We had a, a thing that, uh, that we say in, in terms of counseling and sharing with people, and that is that hurt people hurt people. So people who are hurting, people who are struggling, respond, react by hurting others. That's what they do. And what does that do? That creates more hurt people who do what? Hurt people. See the cycle? And that's the cycle that we watch. That's the cycle that's going on here. So Ishmael slaughters 80 more people and he throws them down in a cistern. So you got a mass grave in the middle of Mizpah, you know, a few days after Nebuchadnezzar leaves. It's crazy. It's crazy the things that are going on. It says in verse 8, but there were 10 men. So this is how I know he has self-control. Right? There were 10 men among them who said, hey, don't put us to death. We have wheat, barley, oil, uh, and honey hidden in the field. So usually when you would travel, right, from one place to another and you're getting ready to set up camp, a lot of times guys would stash their stuff, their stores, not in the camp, just in case some crazy guy showed up crying and killed everybody. 
So now you have these people, 10 guys, saying, hey, don't kill us, and we'll tell you where the stuff is we brought. We'll tell you where the weed is. We'll tell you where the barley is. Remember, the people are just coming out of a, a siege, right? People were starving, so, so food is, is important and vital. So Ishmael decides uh, not to kill them. It says, now that cistern <clears throat> into which uh, Ishmael had thrown all the bodies of the men whom he had struck down along with Gedaliah was the large cistern that King Asa made for the defense against Baasha, the king of, of Israel. You can read about that in 1 Kings 15, King Asa making a proclamation, developing a cistern um, during the, the time when the southern kingdom was at war with the northern kingdom. Now it says in verse 10, so Ishmael took the captives, the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, so everybody he didn't kill, <coughs> whatever that number was, he gathers them together, the king's daughters and all the people who were left at Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, took them captive and set out to cross over to the Ammonites. So you have a person who's in the royal line taking Jewish um, captives and he's delivering them to the Ammonites who are an enemy of Israel, always an enemy of Israel. So he's delivering these people and you gotta ask yourself, what, what, why? What's the point? And what you, well, at least what I come up with is this is just the chaos of the chaos after the crisis. You had this big thing come up, it all falls down, and then you have this incredible time of chaos where men are doing things that just don't make any sense. They don't make any sense. So he's gathering these people up. He's going to march them over to the Ammonites. Uh, but it says, when Johanan, the son of Korea, and the leaders of the forces with him heard the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done. They took all their men and went to fight against Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. They came upon him at the great pool that is at Gibeon. So they, uh, Johanan, he's the guy who warned Gedaliah, right? Hey, Ishmael wants to kill you. And so Gedaliah said, no, there's no way. We're all done with all this stuff, right? So so uh, Johanan, he tried to warn him. He tried to give him the information. Gedaliah didn't hear it. Gedaliah's dead. Now after, <clears throat> Johanan hears about it, and he's going to chase him down. So he gathers up his forces, and he goes after Ishmael. He's chasing him. He finds him outside the great pool that is at Gibeon. And when all the people who were, who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the leaders of the forces with him, they rejoiced. So all the prisoners who are being marched with Ishmael, who doesn't really have this huge army, all the prisoners who are with him, they rejoice. And it says, and all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive turn around and came back to Yohanan. So they all just leave. So whatever force Ishmael had, he could control the people that he was taking captive, maybe because they're just brokenhearted. You know, we thought all this battle was over, and now you just slaughtered all the people of Mizpah, and we're the only ones left. And I guess we're going to go to the Ammonites captive now. And all of a sudden, an army shows up. And all those captives just leave. There's no fight. The captives of Ishmael just turn around and run to Yohanan. 
They run to him. And while all the people are running to him, uh, Ishmael's just going to sneak away. So it says in verse 15, right? But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Yohanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. So he gets away with, uh, with eight guys and he goes off to the Ammonites. So Ishmael leaves our story. And now we have Yohanan who had warned Gedaliah. But now you got a situation, right? <coughs> Ishmael's gone. Uh, who wants to explain this to Babylon? You text them. I'm not doing it. You want to talk? Babylon has put down three rebellions so far. And the last one they put down, they were like, this is it. They destroyed the temple. Jerusalem's wiped out, right? You notice they're staying in Mizpah. They're not staying in Jerusalem. So they're kind of freaked out. What are we going to do? Where are we going to be? What, 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 what kind of life can we have? So Yohanan, it says, and, and this group that he has together, <clears throat> the son of Korea and all the leaders of the forces with him, took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, soldiers, women, children, eunuchs, whom Yohanan brought back from Gibeon. And they went and stayed at Garuth Chinham near Bethlehem, intending to go to Egypt. Now, remember that phrase. What's it say? Intending to go, what's their plan? We're going to Egypt. We ain't staying here. Who's going to keep us safe? Who... Maybe Ishmael's gone, but how do we know there's not another Ishmael around the next rock? Another guy just like him who, who wants to attack us. We have no safety. You don't have the walls of Jerusalem anymore. You don't have the, the safety of the nation that you had before. You are just a scattered remnant in the land. And so their heart is to go back to Egypt why, verse 18 says, because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had killed Gedaliah. So how many puppet kings got took down? <laughs> this is number five. That's, I'm sure Babylon's not going to be thrilled, right? Babylon's going to be pretty upset about it. So we move on to chapter 42. Chapter 42 brings us to the a little bit of the culmination of why are we being told this? What does this have to do with anything, okay? The chaos that takes place after the crisis of the fall of Jerusalem, the battle, people killing each other, people aren't done doing wicked things to one another. Now they want to run to Egypt. It says in verse 1, Then all the commanders of the forces, <clears throat> and Yohanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshea, and all the people from the least to the greatest, came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet. Oh, now listen to that. They come near and say to Jeremiah the prophet, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us. For all this remnant, because we are left and are but a few as your eye sees us, that the Lord your God may show us the way that we should go. And the thing that we should do. So after all this happens. Remember where would Jeremiah go? Where was Jeremiah? Do you remember? He's with Gedaliah. 
So Jeremiah the prophet watches the slaughter. The idea that Jeremiah the prophet wasn't privy to the dinner that Ishmael came to, to Gedaliah, you don't think that, that Jeremiah had an honored seat at the table of Gedaliah? He doesn't see the slaughter. I'm sure that Ishmael, you know, had, had the good sense not to kill the prophet. I don't know. But Jeremiah's with Gedaliah. That's where he went. We read about it. He went to Gedaliah to stay in Mizpah. <clears throat> so he, maybe he's part of the captives even that go with, with uh, Ishmael. Maybe it's during this time he's capping off this uh, book we're going to read next which is Lamentations, right, as he watches the, the city of Jerusalem be destroyed and the people's hearts turn against the Lord. As he's doing all these things, now the people gather and they, they come to Jeremiah and they say, Jeremiah, <clears throat> first off, will you pray to the Lord your God? That always makes me a little nervous, right? Now maybe they're establishing, trying to establish the honor that Jeremiah has, before the Lord God, but it always makes me a little nervous when somebody says, uh, would you pray to your God for me? Well, sure. Jeremiah does. But I, I, Jeremiah's got to have floating around in the back of his head, are you going to listen? Because I spent 40 years doing this and ain't nobody listened yet. No one has ever listened. No one has ever said, here's what the Lord says, I'm going to do it. So they come to him and they say, look, I want one, will you pray to the Lord your God and uh, tell the Lord we are few. Isn't that interesting? Tell the Lord we are few. Just in case God doesn't know, we're small. And Babylon's big. And so I'm pretty sure we can't fight Babylon. And just in case the Lord isn't aware, tell him we're few. We're small. We're little. The nation's gone. There's no kings. There's no organized army. You have the family of Yohanan and, and some scraps, you know, strapped together. That's it. That's all we got. So make sure that the Lord knows that we are few, just as your eyes see. So ask the Lord your God what we should do. Now we know from the previous verse, right, that they already intended what? They intend to go to Egypt. This is their plan. And I think ultimately, as often is the case with us, we want God to stamp our plans. We want to lay out our plans. Here's my plan, Lord. Now, God, I'm telling you my plan, just in case you didn't notice, you know, we're really going through it, or we're having this struggle, or we're having that struggle, and we'll lay all that stuff out, and we'll say, Lord, will you stamp my plan? And sometimes God doesn't stamp your plan, right? Right? Sometimes the Lord says, no. Sometimes he looks down in a hole at a guy standing in a hole hiding from his enemies and says, no, I want you to build an army and go whoop them guys. So, Lord, I'm hanging out in a hole. I don't want to go out there. I don't want to deal with, uh, with all this stuff. And you know what happens, right? You guys know the story of Gideon, yeah? Yeah, the Lord kept telling him he had too many people, and Gideon was pretty sure he didn't have enough. 30,000 is too many. 10,000 is too many. Oh, 300, that sounds good. Yeah, go with that. 
So you, you know, you have this, <clears throat> this call where God says, <clears throat> Gideon's like, look, I'm fine in the hole. Nobody knows I'm here. I'm doing my thing. I'll just stay here. Sometimes God's plan is not for you to stay in a hole. Sometimes the Lord's plan is, you know, one of the things, one of the struggles going through this whole period of, gosh, it's almost been a year now, of of COVID, right? February, probably back, at least when I remember it starting and, and uh, you know, doing all the stuff we've been doing and people struggling with what should I do? What shouldn't I do? Should I wear a mask? Shouldn't I wear a mask? Should I do this? Should I do that? But I, you know, I shared on Sunday, we have clear marching orders. Oh, the Lord, I can tell you what we're supposed to be doing, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that Jesus taught us and realizing that Jesus is with us wherever we go. Yeah. We, we have marching orders. And none of those orders are, now I'm not su- suggesting you can't do that from your home. You may be able to. You may be able to, to put together something where you can put it up on YouTube or Facebook and you can reach the masses. Praise God, you should be doing it then. Because that's supposed to be our job, right? We're supposed to be connecting. Well, these people are saying, we'll do whatever God tells us. We'll go wherever you, you want us to go, but they've already got a plan. Always makes me nervous when I already have a plan. When I already have a plan and then I realize, oh, oh, I should pray about this. I don't know if that ever happens to you guys. <clears throat> I've already got the plan. I've already worked it all out of my mind, how it's going to go, how everything's going to work out. Oh, well, well, before I start this, I'm going to go ahead and pray about it. Hey, Lord, I developed this plan. <laughs> yeah, you know, just throw it away. Just throw it away. I used to take them plans and lay them out before God and have these long arguing prayers. Lord, this is a good plan. And the way, you, the way we should go, this is how it should be, and this is the next thing and the next thing, and this is just the perfect plan, Lord. I, I, I think that all I need is your approval. And ultimately, what I have learned in 25 years of ministry is tear the plan up. Tear it up. If you did not start with, Lord, I need you to lead me to a plan, tear it up, throw it away, and start again. And I don't, you got time. Tear it up, throw it away. Lord, what do you want me to do? You lead me. The problem with these people is they already knew what they wanted to do, and they just, you know, you ever, like, you just want God's approval for something, and so you pray, and the wind blows, and you go, oh, that was the Lord. That wind, it told, it, that was God telling me it's okay. Have you ever done that? The bird flew by and sang in your ear, and oh, God said yes. We, we will find a hundred ways to approve of our prayers when we already have made up our mind before we go. So these guys, they go to, they go to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah the prophet, verse four, he says, look, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God. You see how he did that? So twice they said to Jeremiah, will you pray to the Lord your God? And when Jeremiah responds, he says, yes, I will pray to the Lord your God. 
Because <laughs> even if you're being a knucklehead, you need to know he's still your God. I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. Whatever the Lord answers, I will tell you, I won't keep anything back. Now, Jeremiah has done this for 40 years. He, used to, he just said to, to the last king, right, um, why, why do you want me to tell you anymore? You don't ever listen. You never listen. <laughs> but Jeremiah, he says, look, I'm going to tell you, I won't keep anything back from you. So they said to, the, to Jeremiah, may the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word which the Lord your God sends you to us. Do you catch that? They're, in essence, they're saying, the Lord judge us if we're not obedient to what he says. He will. The Lord judges. Well, I, I promise we're going to do what God says. Listen to what they say. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, you see, they're, they're, you see them starting to <clears throat> open up, right? The Lord our God to whom we are sending you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice, the voice of the Lord our God. So they're saying, look, no matter what God tells us, good or bad, we're going to do it. Whatever God says. Whatever God tells me, I'm going to do. Whatever it is. That's, the words are easy to say. The deed is a bit harder. Right? I'm sure Gideon felt the same way. I'll, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. Well, you have too many soldiers. Send everyone who's afraid home. Uh, there's a pretty good chance, Lord, they're all afraid. Okay. The Lord don't care, does he? He don't need 30,000 soldiers, does he? He needs one guy. He needs one gal. He needs one person willing to stand. I was super blessed today because some of the guys out at Kimberly, I knew were going out to uh, Planned Parenthood today's... Uh, 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 it's Wednesday, right? Yeah, it's abortion day today. So, so they were going out to, to Planned Parenthood. Well, I, I had to go out to Twin today. So I told Jace on the way by, you know, I'd swing over and stop. Because usually, you know, it's lonely <laughs> when you're one guy on the corner. You know, maybe there's two of you on the corner. And, and uh, you, you get tired of dodging the eggs and the tomatoes. So, so I'm thinking, oh, I'll swing by on the way. And so when I go by Planned Parenthood today, I don't know. How, it looked like there's 10 guys out there. The corner was full. And uh, just blessed my heart that that's a hard ministry. And there, there are faithful men. Bill Battery, who, who came here, he, he died several months back. He used to go out there all by himself. Bill all by himself. And the faithfulness of Bill going out there all by himself has grown to a couple handfuls of guys standing out on the corner of Planned Parenthood. And I, you know, I just thought, man, what a blessing. Pretty cool that, uh, that people would do that. And so I just waved. I don't even know if there's a place for me to stand on the corner. You guys got it. <clears throat> so it's, it's a blessing to see men uh, men and women standing up and saying, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I want to do what God's asking me to do, whatever it is. 
sometimes it's hard stuff. I'd love to tell you if you go out and you start street preaching that everybody who comes by will be encouraging. <laughs> but that's not how it is. I'd love to tell you every time you preach a message, everybody in church will be encouraging. But that's not how it is. And if that's what you're, if that's what you're chasing, you're going to be disappointed awful quick. But if you want to honor God, honor him for good or ill, whatever you got, Lord, we, with many or few, I, I want to be faithful to what you want to do. And so this is exactly what Jeremiah says. Look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lay these things out for you. So in verse 7 it says, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't work it up. <clears throat> Jeremiah didn't say, oh, you want a word from the Lord? Okay, I'm going to give you one. No, what did he do? He prayed until he had one. Right? He went before the Lord and he prayed and he waited. And he prayed and he waited. And at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he summoned Johanan, the son of Korea, and the, uh, the other commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. So they're all gathered outside Jeremiah's place. <clears throat> and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea of mercy for him. So gather all the people. Let me tell you what God has to say. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. You hear the other part of what Jeremiah was sent to do? He was sent to pluck up and tear down to build up and plant. And there's been nothing but tearing down for 40 years. And now Jeremiah finally gets to deliver a word from the Lord to the people and tell them, hey, if you stay here, God will build you up. He'll plant you. He'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about the Babylonians. You don't have to worry about other guys like Ishmael. We'll just band together. And God says, if you stay here and trust me, I'll take care of you. That's a pretty incredible word, right? Can you imagine how excited Jeremiah was? After all them years and nobody listening, hey, I got some people in front of me. They said they'll do whatever God tells them. They're going to respond any way God wants. So he says to him, look, if you will remain in this land, listen, verse 11, do not fear the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I will save you and deliver you out of his hand. Now, keep in mind, the false prophets had been saying that the whole time the Babylonians were surrounding the city. Oh, no, God's going to deliver us. God's going to deliver us. God's going to deliver us. But Jeremiah never did. Jeremiah said, that's a lie. God said, we're going into captivity. So if you surrender and stop fighting, you can live right here and be in exile under the control of Babylon for 70 years. You can do that right here. You don't have to be destroyed. But if you keep fighting, they're going to destroy everything. 
Now everything is destroyed. And the people are wanting to run to Egypt. And Jeremiah says, hey, God says he's got you. You stay here. He'll take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. Think about, you know, let's say there's 100 of them. Let's say there's two, 300, 400. Doesn't matter. The Babylonian army is way bigger than that. And I promise you, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be ticked off when he hears they killed his governor. Right? And, and he's been so mad at Israel, he's liable just to say, you know what, just, just take a bunch of guys over there and stomp them into the mud. I'm done. I don't want to talk to them. But God says, I will protect you. Can God turn the heart of a king? Does the scripture say he can? So is, is Nebuchadnezzar open to, to being, having his heart directed? I don't know that that is required, but is Nebuchadnezzar open? Is he open to the voice of God? But chapter 4 of Daniel, you ever read it? If you read chapter 4 of Daniel, you should ask yourself, who wrote it? A guy named Nebuchadnezzar. So he has, a, he has a prophet that's been all around him in Babylon. You remember his name? Daniel, right? Daniel. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they've been causing some ruckus for him in, in his relationship with the Lord. Plus, in Babylon, there's another prophet, Ezekiel. Ezekiel's there in Babylon. So you got Ezekiel, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. There's a lot of the word of the Lord happening there in Babylon. Is God able to control the things that Nebuchadnezzar can do? For sure. For sure. And so God is saying through his prophet to the people, I got your back. You just be faithful to me. Do you think God's word for you today is different than that? You just be faithful to me. You have, I have a role to play in the body of Christ. And God wants us to do that role. Is that role costly? Sometimes, right? You remember what Jesus said? If you set your hand to the plow, do what? Don't look back. Keep your eyes looking forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Be faithful men and women following the plans of the Lord. And so he says, don't be afraid. God has you. Verse 12, I will grant you mercy and he will have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. So you will not lose anything. Verse 13, but, there's always a but when the prophet speaks. But if you say, we will not stay in the land and disobey the voice of the Lord your God, and you say, nope, we're going to the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet, nor will we be hungry for bread and we will dwell there. If you say, we're going to run to Egypt, you got to understand the difference. you got to understand what's being done. When the people say, when God says, if you stay here, I'll take care of you, and they say, no, we'll go to Egypt, who are they trusting to take care of them? Yeah, they're saying, Egypt, Egypt's going to take care of me. Egypt, right, which, which is a picture of the flesh. Egypt is a picture of the fall. Egypt is a picture of all, why, why did we have the whole exodus? So that God could show his power beyond all the gods of Egypt. Right? 
So when they say, we're going to go to Egypt, they're saying to God, we don't think you can take care of us, but we're pretty sure they can. So God says, look, if you do that, if you say, if we go to Egypt, there'll be no battle, there'll be no hunger, we'll be safe there. Then hear the word of the Lord, verse 15, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you set your face to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear will overtake you. Egypt and Babylon aren't done yet. The sword will overtake you in the land of Egypt. And the same siege that was used against Jerusalem, guess where they're going to use it next? Egypt. So you go to Egypt and you think you're going to have food and the famine of which you are afraid will follow close after you to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, there you will die. All throughout scripture, you have this amazing story of two roads, right? Two paths. In, in, in Proverbs especially, you see it, the, the way of the fool and the way of the wise, Lady wisdom and the immoral woman. Life, death. You have this idea of this, this path leads to life, this path leads to death. Jesus talks about it. Even he says, he says uh, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many find that, right? But narrow is the path that leads to life. So the, the idea, again, you have two ways. You have two paths that, that you can walk on. And here the Lord has laid out for the people. There's two paths. Egypt is death. If you go to Egypt, that's the path of death. That leads to death. You'll die in Egypt. If you stay here, I'll take care of you. I'm going to do all the things that I need, and you will be okay. Verse 17, all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. There, nobody's going to make it. Everyone who goes to Egypt dies. All of them. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you if you go to Egypt. You shall become an execration, a horror, a curse, a taunt. You shall see this place no more. So the Lord is finished. And Jeremiah says, the Lord has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for a certainty that I warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God. Whatever the Lord our God says, declare it to us and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you. But you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. Now, therefore, know for a certainty you will die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence in the place you desire to go to live. Do you know who else is going to Egypt? Yeah, Jeremiah. They're going to bring him with them. They're going to bring, Jeremiah's going to go with the people. They'll have 
<clears throat> the voice of the Lord all the way to the day that they die. They had a chance, right? Build, plant, live. Build, plant, live. And man chooses yet still rebel against God, rebel against God, rebel against God. The story of scripture is relatively simple. It's the one who humbles himself before the Lord. It's the one that bows the knee and says, hey, whatever you tell me, wherever you send me, that's where I'll go. Just like Isaiah, when uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up his train, filled the temple. He saw the presence of God and he was blown away. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm unclean. I'm, I'm not good. I'm not a good man. I'm an unclean man. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people, Lord. I'm unclean. <clears throat> and the Lord sends an angel to take a coal from the altar, touches the prophet's lips and says, I have cleansed you. And then he asks the question, hey, who wants to go tell a people who won't listen? Who wants to go speak to a people who won't hear? You remember what Isaiah said? Here am I, send me. You remember that's the next thing God said. Go and speak, but they won't hear. Go tell them they won't listen. Because Romans chapter 11 says what? All day long the Lord says, I have extended my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. All day long. Hands extended. The call for the people to follow. Hear wisdom. Turn. Humble yourself. Why does God say in Proverbs he hates pride? Because a proud man, he's never going to bow the knee. He'll turn his back and do his do it his way. I know better. Yohanan is like, oh, God doesn't understand how bad the situation is. Yeah, he does. He knows. Long time ago, I sat in a single wide trailer in Midway Park, North Carolina, having just told my wife that I was positive for HIV. And back in the 80s, <clears throat> nobody had no answers for any of that. And I, I still remember the couch, kneeling down by the couch and telling God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. There's nothing else, no place else to go. Wherever you send, whatever doors you open, I'll walk in. Whatever opportunities you give me, I'll take. I still do that today. Whatever you got, there is only John chapter 6, right? Jesus looks at his disciples who have all left him, and he says to his disciples, are you going to leave me too? Remember what Peter said? Where will we go? No one else has what? The words of life, the path of life. We, we're we're going to follow you. This is the call that Jeremiah had on a people that would never listen. And we are given that same call, you and I, today, this day. 
to call people to walk the path of life, to follow Christ, to repent and believe, right? Isn't that our purpose? Isn't that why we're here? We're not here to see how big a kingdom we can amass for ourselves. We're not here to build bigger barns and bigger barns and nicer cars or prettier motorcycles. We're not here for any of that stuff. What are we here for? We're here to proclaim to the lost that Jesus Christ is the way. So that we can, in some way, bring some to walk the path of life. That's our purpose. That's it. Not all the other things that can distract us. So I hope you will, tonight, just take the time. Take 10 days. Do a Jeremiah. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Just go before the Lord and then just be faithful to what he tells you. Be faithful to how he directs you. Be faithful to do the, do the work that God has given us to do in these last days. I don't know how long they are. I was pretty sure I was never going to be 56 and then bloop, here I am. And I'm kind of hoping I don't have to go to see all the numbers after 56. But, you know, Whatever. It's his, it's his world. I just live in it. What do you got for me, Lord? So I just pray that you'll seek God and allow God to direct you and then be faithful. People out there right now are looking for answers because nothing is satisfying. Nobody's got any answers. Nobody's got hope. Nobody's got, you do. Deliver it. Make a difference. Honor your king. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you, Lord, to lift up this time. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes, God, to your purposes. That we would honestly say the prayer that Johanan and those people said, you know, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Whatever it looks like, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to minister to who you want me to minister to. Lord, I pray that we would have that heart honestly just seeking you. And then responding, Lord, your word declares we have our marching orders. How do you want me to do it, God? How can I honor you? How can I glorify you? How can I do all that you have for me? I still hear the words of my niece in Arizona saying, where are the preachers to lead us? Where are the people to tell us? We're full of zeal, but it's misplaced. How will they hear if nobody goes? Lord, I, I just pray we, your people, would respond to your leading and that you be glorified, magnified in the lives we offer up to you. So, Lord, we just, uh, we just pray that you move in our midst tonight. Uh, train us in your word. Open our hearts. Open our will. Bring us in the path of humility to stand before the all-powerful 
and say the words Isaiah said. Here am I. Send me. In Jesus' name. Amen.